Sits and Sivs, you're tuned to the Guard Frequency. As all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 39 and was recorded on September 20th and made available for download September 23rd at GuardFrequency.com. I'm Tony. And I'm Jeff. And I'm Lennon. What do we have this week, Lennon? Well, in this week's Squawkbox, we go to Mars, along with everyone else. In CRG News, we bring you everything that's happening around the UEE, including our weekly crowdfunding update, the latest letter from the chairman, news of a new Hornet being crowdvoted, and yet more controversy with the reintroduction of lifetime insurance. We asked you to vote on what ship you'd like us to discuss in Nuggets for Nuggets, but as it ended in a tie two weeks running, we're going to talk about a small admin error and the Drake Herald instead. And finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Sits and Sis are always on the lookout for talented individuals to come and join the crew here at Guard Frequency. So if you've got a creative itch that needs scratching, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us an email with your experience and what you'd like to bring to the table to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Please remember that all positions here at Priority One Productions are voluntary. This is a labor of love, but we do look great on a CV or resume. We've added a new feature to our website, GuardFrequency.com. It's a donate button. After six months of clockwork releases, trips to Austin and L.A., that trip from Manchester that is just eluding us due to scheduling, and our regular detours into lunacy, hey, you know, we're finally confident enough to set that hat out on the sidewalk and wait for you to toss in loose change. Of course, we're happy to share our labor of love with you each week free of charge, but it's nice to get the occasional concrete reminder that folks out there in the verse love listening to the show as much as we love making it. Thanks to everybody who's already contributed, and we hope you decide to make a regular contribution. The more support we get, the better show we can make. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on to the show and see what's coming through the Squawk Box. Any you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. This is Tony saying welcome to the Squawk Box. You know, it's getting awfully crowded in your sky. If you're a Martian, anyway. As we record this show, yet another Earthling contraption will just be settling into orbit around the Red Planet. The MAVEN probe, which stands for Mars Atmosphere and Volatile Evolution, will be taking detailed measurements of the thin atmosphere surrounding the fourth planet and will join four other NASA missions, a European orbiter, and will arrive just ahead of India's first Mars orbiter. And we're not done yet. Over the next six years, three more missions are planned for Mars. As we look into the decade of the 2020s, China, Russia, and Japan will also have independent missions on the drawing board, too. And for those of you that think interplanetary missions are no longer rocket science, here's a sobering statistic for you. To date, over half of all attempted Mars missions were either destroyed, lost, or failed to achieve critical mission objectives. That's right, you'd be better off flipping a coin than betting on the success of a trip to our little ruddy buddy. So why are we so keen to shoot a manned can out there? We can't even hit the mark with robots half the time. Maybe a few dozen more practice shots are in order. Once we get over the coin flip mark, we might be justified taking our chances on an Orion booster or a Falcon 9 Heavy. Until then, might be best to just leave it to the rovers. I think Elon Musk sums it up best when he says, quote, I'd like to die on Mars, just not on impact. <laughs> Very nice. 
Yeah, I thought that was good too. I, that was I thought that was the most interesting part of this. Everyone decides they need to go to Mars. It's like one of those things you have to do to prove you're a spacefaring nation. But half the time, these missions fail. Maybe I'm one of those that say we need to get to Mars, and the sooner the better. Ever since I was a little kid, reading Heinlein under my bed covers with a flashlight. I grew up in the era of John F. Kennedy, you know. I, I saw the landing on the moon in 1969. It was the day after my birthday. I remember like it was yesterday. So I don't think it's because we had the technology. I think it's because we can. And we need that frontier. We always need that frontier. We always need that unknown for us to be our best at. Well, there's something to be said for that. I mean, it was a sobering statistic to me. It was a research was dated 2008. And as of that point, 26 of 43 missions had screwed up somehow. You know, since then, we've had a few more successes, you know, the most prominent being curiosity. But maybe it's because we're not sending people that we forget to do things like convert meters to feet or whatever it was that sent that uh, Mars Observer probe into the drink. Well, yeah, like more risk, more reward. Yes, exactly. I mean, that's the thing. If there's more on the line, you you do better. <laughs> you, you don't take as many chances or as many shortcuts. Not that saying that NASA's taking any shortcuts with these probes, but it's just, you know, the attitude during Apollo was, this isn't going to screw up because of me. You know, no one's going to be able to look at the, at, the, at the investigation afterward and find that it was my fault that, the, that this didn't go right. It lends a level of care. Yeah, does it worry anybody else that the entire population of Mars is robots? Oh, great. We've given them a head start. <laughs> Have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to other citizens or civilians? Send us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Now let's check out some CIG news. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, checkers green, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Our crowdfunding update for September 20th, 2014, 53862000 on our way to 54 million, and those overly thrilling AI subroutines. Yay, sanitation workers. 601 plus thousand citizens and 457,000 members of the UEE. Two out of every three new registrations are buying ships. Still a pretty hefty statistic there. Hey, are we going to hit the million mark on registrations before the end of the year? Eh, probably not, but I bet we do before Squadron 42 goes beta. Well, we actually hit that mark last week, but now we're finally getting a letter from the chairman for 53 million, confirming that Tony can get his powdered wig and practice his... And practice his best Judge Judy voice. As always, we hear about the upcoming stretch goals, this time for $55 million, And we get to pick from ship equipment that every backer up to this point will get for free to use in Arena Commander. Hmm, is this a return to the old style stretch goals, you think? Kinda. What do we got here? What do we got here? Let's, let's go down the shopping list. Oh see boy. What yeah, let's just have a quick rundown. Ballista Cannon, A&R Pyrobolt C1, a laser cannon from Preacher Armament, the Alpha One, a ballistic Gatling gun, also from Preacher Armament, the Inquisition Mark 22, a laser repeater from Verified Off-World Lasers Technology, the Firestorm, a Neutron Cannon, the Pro-Pal Kiloblast, the 3000 Pro, a missile for you, the Spearfish ASIM-09-EN7, the Arrester. A power plant from Ace Astrogation, the Fusion Pro 3H. A shield generator from Ramp Corporation, the ProTech Twin Standard. And finally, a cooling system, the J-Span Cryostar. Fabulous. I would like to spin for a dollar. 
I'd like to I'd, I'd, uh, I'd like to turn in my uh, my 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 free spin pass and get two or three of these. Yeah, uh, I think you should uh, turn in your powdered wig and start putting on your uh, best announcer's voice instead. Oh, I'm telling you, you know, Don Pardo recently passed away on Saturday Night Live, so they've already hired Daryl Hammond for the job. But I thought I would have been good. Welcome been to intended. Guard Frequency with your host Tony Hunter. Let go, let everybody. All right. Uh, I went down this list, and I think uh, I, like a lot of people, like the missiles. I enjoyed. Uh, I thought the missiles would be the, the, the best short-term addition to Arena Commander. I can tell you that I voted uh, just prior to the show, and it was funny because my vote was also the top vote with 22% of the vote, where the rest had just single digits. And that was for the Gatling gun. But I've already got a Gatling gun. Not like this Gatling mm. gun. Not like this Gatling gun. <laughs> I feel like I'm missing. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to join in with it. <laughs> <laughs> this Gatling gun features dual ammo feed and allows you to hot swap feeds without exiting your ship, giving every owner the ultimate flexibility to pick the ammo based on the situation. Well, see, that's interesting because now they're gonna have to have two different kinds of ammo for us. But the weapons loadout stuff still isn't, you know, 100% working just right. You yeah. can't save loadouts and things like that, so that's gonna be kind of a kind of a pain. I personally, I like the laser repeater. I thought that this one sounded pretty cool. The one issue that I tend to find myself with is I'm a little bit trigger happy in Arena Commander. So having a laser repeater that delivers the same amount of arsenal as a ballistic counterpart, but without the worry of running out of ammo, that's just, I like that. Well, the fact that they're for Arena Commander only is just sad. I want these in my inventory. Actually, I'd be willing to bet if, if they're going like if they're going off this like previous stretch goals. This is another good discussion topic to have on this one. Previous stretch goals is if you backed before that level, you got it. Like the the old ones were like a handgun and a racing suit and the plant or something like that. I mean, if you, if you were a backer prior to this level, this is something that you just got and you can use in the persistent universe. So it wouldn't surprise me if these are things that you would have. They'll just hurry up and make it game ready so you can use it in arena commander uh, in short order so this goes to the whole prioritization thing these are things that are already in the pipeline they're on the drawing board at some point but when the community hits the stretch goal they'll just make that go to the top of the list to be finished and to have its spreadsheet numbers tweaked to the best of their abilities as far as damage and cooldown and all that kind of stuff uh, I like this idea better for crowdfunding again it, it shows they've got a list they've got a plan it's just which one do you guys want first? They're all going in, and it just doesn't matter to us which one goes first, as opposed to the systems side of it. Which system, which backbone thing do you guys want us to do first? Like, don't you guys know which one you need to have dependencies? These are these are weapons. These are things they can do anytime. I kind of like this better. I do prefer this style of stretch goal as well because one of my primary issues with how the stretch goals have been done is that a lot of the time they seem to be adding new features to the game, whereas this, you know, they are going to have to have all of this in-game eventually. Uh, it's just weapons and guns. I think that by letting us pick the priority on which one that we want, it helps obviously to drive the funding model forward, but it doesn't mean that they're overextending and overpromising right. what they're able to deliver. I like this. Yeah, and I also like it for the fact that what it does, it rewards the people that have already backed in the past. Yes. It gives the people that have already backed in the past an incentive to, hey, you don't actually have to spend any more dollars. You could just tell more friends. And when those people chip in, it gets closer to the stretch goal. So it, it aligns incentives a little better. You know, 
if the community works together to go get another 100,000 registrations, two out of three of which buy ships, that just propels us closer you know, to the next goal, the next goal, the next goal. It puts everybody more in line to do it this way. Well, that big old pot of controversy keeps bubbling away and not content with leaving it at a gentle simmer, CIG decided to throw a few more logs into the fire. In a recent article on the RSA website entitled Future Concept Sail Plans, the team takes us through their plans for how new ships will be presented to us for purchase. Now, previously concept ship sails, that is, ships that are only available in concept art stage, have been short, blink-and-you'll-miss-it style events to reveal the new ships. Going forward, CIG have decided to change the process to offer some extras for backing a ship at this earlier stage in development. So, when a ship's concept gets final approval from Chris, it will be offered as a one-week concept-only sale, and after that week ends, the ship will not be available for sale until it is ready to use in the hangar. In addition, CRG are going to throw in several extras available only during the concept period. These are the lowest price, so every time the ship is released after that it will never be as low as it is during the concept phase, two random pieces of hangar flare, and crucially for the controversy bubbling, the return of lifetime insurance. Ooh. Yes, that is right, yep. <gasps> LTI is making a return. Oh, 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 oh. So... Oh. Oh, uh, where do I, where do I, hang on, let me, uh, let me find it, let me look through my pile of, uh, uh, forum thread rage, uh, meme, okay, alright, I'm ready, I'm ready here, um, okay. see, I'll start with, I'll start with slap in the face, can we start with that one, that's my favorite, I love that one the best, <laughs> hold on, I'll put on, I'll put on my, my forum rage voice, um, this is a slap in the face to everyone that purchased lifetime insurance, the assurance that it would never be offered again. Okay. Anybody want to deal with that one first? Go right ahead. No, I agree with you. Actually, it's a hammer on the head. Uh, I, it's, oh, hammer. Oh, oh, slap in the face? Okay, go ahead. So it, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a maul to the bringer, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, now that, now that our brains have been scooped out by the reintroduction of lifetime insurance, uh, taking you more seriously here, I don't think it's that big a deal. I mean, here in this crowd, this tiny crowd we have here, we've got a, a golden ticket holder. A guy that missed the golden ticket by about six months. And, and Lennon, you're, I think, out of all of us, you're the Johnny come lately, aren't you? I was May of 2013. Yep. Did you have an opportunity to get anything with lifetime insurance on it? Oh, no, no. That was well gone by the time yeah, I yeah. pulled up I, to I, it. I got, I got LTI on my Connie. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't see that it's that big of a deal. There were perks at the very beginning to get in on, on the action. And I, I don't think that offering other people the same perks diminishes the value of your perk. I, I Am I wrong on that somehow? Yeah, I, I'm going to have to slightly disagree with that. I understand where you're right, coming right. from. But here's the thing. Even though you you missed the sale out about six months, you were still highly interested in this game, and you spent money out of your pocket for a concept. I mean, we were far from Arena Commander at this point. I mean, oh, yeah. we're not talking about ships in the hangar and, and nice little uh, dangly jewelry hanging from our rearview mirror. We're talking about people who saw the vision that was Chris Roberts, and for your belief, for your faith, you got some lifetime insurance on that ship you thought was so cool. Booyah. That's where it's at. Yeah, but, I, but it, does, it, does it hurt? Does it hurt you, Jeff, if somebody else now no, can have, it doesn't, you know, buy a hair? No, I don't think that's the point. I don't think it's the point whether it hurts me or not. I'm not hurt by it. I don't begrudge anybody. I just, I've, I've seen some of the forum posts on this, and it's like, get over it already. Yeah, I just, yeah, it just, it just doesn't seem to me to be, even if it is, 
perhaps controversial to some extent. It just doesn't seem to me to be worth much protest time. Again, mountains and molehills. Um, That's true. The next, the next piece of it, though, is the idea that these concept ships are going to be short-term, on-sale, early. Again, pointing to Jeff's point of you know having a vision. These things are just in the concept stage. And then later on being offered for regular sale once they're hangar ready. I kind of see some some departure from what the community wanted on the Mustang. Because there was that poll earlier where they said, well, the Mustang is sort of concept ready. Should we sell it now or wait till it's hangar ready? And the community voted wait till it's hangar ready to put it on sale. Then CIG kind of cheated a little bit by offering that bonus package with AMD. If you bought a Radeon card, you could have the Mustang Racer. So that was not, that's not really a sale, though, but it's kind of a perk that gets rolled in. I mean, it's skirting the line a little bit. But the rest of these, these concept sales not only includes lifetime insurance, which is controversial, I suppose, but also sort of goes against the community sentiment, I'm going to call it, that was registered with the Mustang sale. Is that, is that tweaking anybody's nose here in the Guard Frequency studio? I think that this one's a bit of a weird move. I can't quite place what they're trying to do here. I mean, on one hand, like you said, you've got the LTI is a big deal, isn't a big deal. It's like they're trying to appease one side of the community whilst they kind of know they're going to take off the other. And at the same time, they're releasing a concept ship, which, like you said, was against what the community wanted. So I really cannot see what they're trying to achieve. I mean, it's good to get a firm decision on, okay, so when we have a ship, this is when it's going to go on sale and so forth. Because things like the M50 that went on a special sale and then suddenly became available every week, everybody was wondering, you know, WTF, mate. But I think that the way they've gone about doing it is is a little bit odd. One thing that was quite interesting to me, though, was the fact that they said further on, this got edited into the article after release, was everybody was then saying, well, you know, we bought the Gladius at concept stage as well, and the Xi'an Scout at concept stage, and there was nothing like this here, and this was before the announcement of the uh, the Mustang, and it was out before the vote, and so, you know, are you going to retroactively go back and do that? And initially, CRG said, uh, no, this will only apply going forward, and then Chelsea chimed in and was like, okay, so, after a bit of rage, we've listened to our backers, and the consensus is we should add it to all ships, so the Gladius and the Xi'an Scout will also get it. So, there was clearly some forum rage over that as well yeah see if, if they had never brought up the lti again nobody would have made a, a boo over it yeah i i it, it, i agree that uh, jeff i absolutely agree if, if they had just let the lti go and laid it to rest and people would have said well how come i can't have lti on these new concept ships and then rsi could have gone just hey see previous statements on lti right we're through with that business they could have but they're trying to do value added to the packages and clearly because and this is what really gets me the perceived value of LTI is this huge thing among some people of the community especially the ones that don't have it and didn't have the chance to get it because they didn't get in early enough and didn't hear about it early enough you, okay you, so that, you know it's the perceived value is huge if insurance is such going to be such a big deal i mean give it as but a but i don't per- think it is well, it's, obviously it is. Well, uh, otherwise, well, I, be- I know, but the, the rest of my point was that, that it's a perceived value to these people in the community, especially the ones that don't have it. But the actual value, according to CIG, is so much that they're just like, oh, you guys going to make a big deal out of it. No problem. We'll just give it to you. Huh. 
Okay. I mean, that, that was that was the thing. You know, the customer service people just, like, flip-flopped. Basically, they said, yeah, we had a meeting. We decided what the hell. Yeah. And the thing is, though, the, the LTI, the, I think this is something that hasn't been discussed but probably needs to be discussed, is that we know that there's going to be different levels of insurance. You're going to get insurance to cover your ship, insurance to cover your modules, insurance to cover right. your cargo. Cargo, yeah. LTI presumably at this point is just basic insurance. It's the hull. Yeah, hull insurance. So you never end up paying for another hull. So even if you have LTI, you're still not going to be insurance free in the game. It's not no. like it's going to be a burden that you don't have to bear. Everybody will have to buy some form of insurance. It just means that yours is going to be marginally cheaper. But again, right. it's like I can't quite see the angle that they were trying to get on by they know how valued LTI is. Like you said, the perceived value is, oh, we helped early, we've got this super special perk that nobody else can get. And I think that's where the value was. Not in LTI itself, not in what it provides, but sure. the prestige of, this is my sign that I am an early backer. Now, not that we're necessarily gunning for points here or anything of that nature, but right now, the only thing that Jeff really has to show of how early a backer he is, is his golden ticket. Yeah. Which what do you get? That's like a ship skin, right? Is that how you show? Is that how you show? No, it's in my game? it's in my display case. It's about a letter size looking placard that says ten 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 on it. There, is there a way that you can display that in game? I thought you got a special ship skin or something, didn't you? I, special ship I'm texture. Not, I don't remember. I think I've got a PDF of it too. It says thanks for your support. You are a golden yeah. ticket holder. Yada yada yada. I, and again, I think that I think that base, basically it's and my point here is that it's very curable. If there are people that feel like, oh, my early backer status has been you know somehow diminished because everybody gets LTI now on any new ship, I think CIG can come up with something for display in the game, in the forum, whatever, to show you that you're one of the originals. There's actually a good argument for that because I'll, I'll use Lotro as a, an example. On your anniversary, you get a new frame skin to surround your character, and everybody that pops on you can see that skin and tell you that you are a five-year veteran or a six-year veteran. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. There are good ideas in other games that could rightly be literally applied to this and say, oh, you've been you've been a subscriber for three years. Well, here we go. So we've fixed it. We've already fixed it. CIG, if you're listening... The solution here is just give the golden ticket holders and the veteran subscribers, the people that got in before X date or whatever, give them some other piece of flair. Come up with some other piece I of like flair and just word. give it flair. to them. Yeah. Yes. Give them, give them, find some more flair to give them. And this whole argument over I got LTI, you shouldn't get LTI just, just vanishes. Just done. There we go. All right. All right. I love the game we're making. Well, we've all seen them, and we all know we want them. In fact, the forums are full of people creating their own Lego-based star citizenships. Well, one fan by the name of Nosmagon has gone one stage further and submitted it to the official Lego Ideas page. If he gets enough votes, Lego will start down the path of making it an official set. Nosmagon needs 10,000 votes to make this dream a reality and has just hit the 9,000 mark with about 220 days to go, so I think he's probably going to make it. Still, every little bit helps, so if you haven't done it yet, go over to the LEGO site, lego.com, and show the people of LEGO the true power of crowdfunding and help support this awesome fan project. Links are going to be in the show notes. I voted. Did you? I have not yet. I should. Well, I'm going to have to. You should go do that whilst I'm about to talk about this, because I want one of these so much. I would naturally prefer it if it was a freelancer, but 
the way that it, he's managed to put it together, it still retains the look and feel of the horn. It is very nicely armoured, it's very nicely done. I mean, for a crowdfunding game that, that's built purely based on the fans voting with their wallets, it's really cool to see that the fans have now created something of their own based around Star Citizen and are still upvoting that in a crowdfunded, in inverted commas, kind of way. Well, there was an official Lego comment on the voting section that said that basically we are proud to support this idea that a the number one top crowd-funded game, and it's uh, we would like to see the votes come in and, and so that we can produce it. I thought that was kind of cool. I think the Hornet is an excellent representation of both Chris Roberts and Squadron 42 and the Persistent Universe afterwards. So I think that was a good ship to do. Is it minifigure scale? Can you put a little pilot in it? I don't know. Oh, it is. It is minifigure scale. It's got a little cockpit in it and everything. Well, I wonder if I could build this. See, I have my son and I have quite a collection. I say my son and I. <laughs> I have purchased for yeah. my son <laughs> a great number of Legos. I wonder if we could pull this off with the stuff we have in our tubs. One of the things that really made me laugh about this was uh, with all the controversy going on over the ship sales and all that sort of thing, this guy has actually made variants. <laughs> He's, he's made variants of the Hornet. Yeah, well, there's the F, the F7A, the the standard one, but he's also got the Tracker variant, yeah. which is the same but in light blue. And yeah. uh, <laughs> I just thought it was kind of fitting. So I'm wondering, though, if you buy these, does he also provide lifetime insurance to stop you losing the parts? Or? Oh, probably not. Or, or well, I, the, what needs to happen is insurance for, for you, for your feet. Oh, for not your the feet. Parts. Yeah, yeah, for the, for the cursing and swearing and Band-Aids you'll need for the bottom of your feet after stepping on these things. Mm. Oh, yeah, this is pretty. This is fun. I like this. This is cool. I feel I should point out, like they say on some commercials, you know, other Star Citizen Lego sets are available. There's a couple of others out there for the 300i, especially is uh, one mm-hmm. of the more popular ones. And the there's, I think there's even one of the Vandal Scythe, which are kind of lagging behind in the votes. But I think that's probably because the Hornet was advertised right on the front page of uh, Robert Space Industries, whereas the others are still, you know, you've got to well, go yeah. link hunting a bit. And like Jeff said, it's iconic. Yeah, it is iconic. It wouldn't surprise me if Lego didn't go such as uh, they made a whole series for the RSI universe. Yeah. How much money did you guys raise? Uh, what? Oh, sure. <laughs> we'll be happy yeah. to, mm-hmm. uh, to to build a few Lego sets for uh, people that spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars in a game that's not made yet. Well, yes, right this way. The thing is, I know I would go out and buy one, and I wouldn't even pretend it was for my nephews. Yeah, it's for me. exactly. Yeah, I would. I have that cover. I can buy it for my son, but he's never going to touch it. I would incur the wrath of my wife for three days to get one of those sets. (laughs) (laughs) But now it's time for... Two small arena commander patches, but still no revival of private matches. CIG are going to PAX Australia. Crocky mate, best throw another shrimp on the barbie. Terra Gazette, a call to service. Could we see the first Tavarian senator? The Galactic Guide to Bremen, a small system that's had a big political impact. Around the verse, episode 14, where Sandy tells us that the star citizen HOTUS is soon to be a sure thing. 10 for the Chairman 37, featuring gunfights on Connie's, the lack of Death Stars in the Star Citizen oh. universe. And Guard Frequency is a go! I love that. All right, I'm glad I read that line. And we see the very welcome return of the Law Builder series with issue 14. Yeah, 
Yeah, I was talking to uh, Chivalry Bean uh, right before the show started, uh, chatting with him on Instant Message, and he said that the patch, which was supposed to fix the no match found error, apparently is working, uh, but not quite as intended because now it just dumps you straight back to the hangar. You still don't get a match. Nah. But instead of a message saying no match found, it just you know you just get dumped back to your hangar. So still having some connectivity issues and still no private matches. I has a sad. That's really annoying because it takes so long to load into the hangar. Oh my god! <laughs> I know. So, uh, All right. Well, yeah, he went so far as to call it Screen Commander. You know, loading a screen. Yay! Commander, so <laughs> yeah. So. All right. Well, you know, we'll just have to have to play loading Screen Commander for a couple more weeks. Come on, thirteen point one. Come on, thirteen point one. And this week's community question, are we on a better path with CIG's latest changes to their development funding, or did we just go further off track? Let us know by commenting on this week's show post on GuardFrequency.com or over on our show's weekly thread at RobertSpaceIndustries.com. So, now that we're all caught up with the latest CIG news, let's go and find everything out about a small admin error and a little bit more about a Herald in this week's Nuggets for Nuggets. You have all flown before, but you're about to enter a whole new world, so pay attention. That means get on your feet, Nuggets! Greetings, Sits and Sifs, and welcome to Nuggets for Nuggets, where we like to delve into the guts of Star Citizen and give you all the illuminated details from the inside out. A warning up front though, this game very much is still in active development, so everything that we say is subject to change. And due to an admin error, we sort of kinda didn't realise we'd already talked about the Cutlass in Nuggets for Nuggets, and in fact you can find it in episode 31, so we're just going to pretend like that ship wasn't even in the voting list and tell you that this week's winner by a very, very large margin was the Drake Herald. As they say, knowledge is power, so one of the most valuable commodities must be pure information. The ones and zeros behind everything from UEC ledgers to citizenship ratings. Whether it's colonists struggling to stay in contact with the UEE's central worlds or criminals trading in illicit data, there will always be a need to securely move data. The Drake Herald, a small armored ship, is designed to fit that need and safely get information from point A to point B. Of course, a lot of what the Herald may be carrying needs the utmost discretion, so she features only a single seat for a pilot. And featuring a TR4 main engine and 11 TR2 maneuvering thrusters, along with advanced encryption software and an armoured computer core, the Herald is unique among personal spacecraft in that it is designed to be easily cleaned when in danger of capture. The Herald also includes an array of heavy-duty internal options for data protection, including redundant power subsystems and EMP shielding, and a high-powered broadcast array for data transmission. And finally, her teeth, or lack thereof, two Class 1s and one Class 2 weapons. She's going to be much better at outrunning the enemy than outfighting the enemy. She'll also be capable of equipping a shield with a max rating of only 3, which I think might be Raisinette. But again, you know, not designed to hold people off forever, just long enough to get to the nearest jump point. And that's about all that we know at this point. The Herald is very much still a work in progress, so don't be surprised to find that these stats change in the near future. According to RSI, though, the Herald is most similar to the Aurora and 300i end of the ship scale, rather than, say, the Hornet or moving up into the bigger ships, the multi-crewed multiplayer ships. So she is a quick, small, simple information runner loaded up with a crazy amount of high-end equipment for tracking data and transmitting. I sort of liken this ship to like a, a small armored fast cockroach beetle. Yes. You, can, you, it, you might be able to hit it with the shoe once, but that's probably not going to kill it. You're going to have to pound it a few times with a really thick boot to kill it. 
the gameplay, I think, around the information, the, the more we discuss it and the more Chris answers design questions about it, I think there's going to be a lot of fun there. And a lot of work is going to have to be done to get around the sort of meta game of talking to your buddies on TeamSpeak. There's got to be some gameplay mechanics to require you to get certain types of information from a ship like the Herald. Well, I have a problem with this. If I was a character of nefarious mm, persuasion mm-hmm. and I saw one of these ships, I would do my best to. I, I know what she's carrying. I know it. Sure. I was thinking, why not make an Aurora into a Herald or the ability sure. of a Herald? Say security through obscurity. Right. There's so exactly. many of the damn exactly. things flying around. It could be carrying anything. That's a great idea. I think one of the advantages that the Herald has, though, is that it is designed to be easily scrubbed clean when it's in danger of capture. So, yes, you say that pirates will see it and they'll chase after it, but all that it will take is a single button press and pfft, information gone. You're not getting anything back out of that Herald. So they then have to take the risk, you know, is it really actually worth trying to intercept them because they're more than likely going to destroy any data that might be able to be claimed. I think in a lot of cases, the opportunistic pirate will leave them alone. I think it'll only be the the highly planned, well-executed, almost military-style maneuvers that are likely to result in any data capture from a Herald. Having said that, yes, the Aurora, like you said, there's going to be so many of them, no pirate is going to stop and sniff every single one going through. So I guess it depends on the sensitivity of the data that you're carrying. You know, if it has to reach its end goal, then you might be better off sending it in an Aurora, because if you send it in one of these things, it might get destroyed halfway through. And just going back to Tony's point about how they will have to make sure that the information isn't metagamed, that's quite simple. You just have some sort of NPC endpoint that you need to transmit it from and to. So you can tell your buddies about it in the game, but until it actually gets delivered to a character or node in the game, your mission isn't actually complete. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I think there's a lot here. There's fertile ground. There's fertile ground with this system, especially if, as Jeff was saying, you can configure other ships besides the Heralds to do the same job and perhaps take advantage of some stealth rather than, hey, look at me, I'm carrying data. I remember learning how to sail my sailboat when I was very much younger and my uncle was training me that there's a light code, like you could flash a certain code of uh, that you could be seen across the distance. And I'm just wondering if we would have those ability with our nav lights and stuff. I would really hope so, because that actually featured in an episode of Battlestar Galactica, one of the really early ones with the Olympic carrier, and they were trying to get a signal. Uh, 33, that was it. It was the the first episode of the actual series, was it not? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. And uh, yeah, that uh, you're bringing back warm, fuzzy memories, Jeff. I want that now. I don't care. I'll build it in my game that I'm building. (laughs) Are you new to the verse and need a bit of advice? Is there a tidbit of lore some sit or sieve taught you that we all should know? Let us know by dropping us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's just be friendly! Sean Newboy dropped in to say, as he always does, Love the episode, everyone. And from the RSI forum post, we hear from Ken Shadow. Wow, welcome back, Ken Shadow. Haven't heard from you in a while. He says, I want to weigh in on the whole racing pay-to-win thing here with a couple points. Number one, Jeff said he bought a 325A with the understanding it was super fast and was upset it wasn't winning races. I think this would be an understandable statement if the 350R, a ship described as a racing ship, has twice the number of engines and comes with a racing suit in its game package, wasn't released at the same time. Why would you think that the 325A is super fast if they outright told you it wasn't even the fastest 300 series ship? The 325A is the fighting variant. 
Uh oh, he's calling you okay. out, Jeff. I will. I will refer to the original commercial. And the 325 is an interdictor. It is a fighting ship, but it is made to go very fast. Just a bit of supporting evidence. The M50 is listed as an interdictor, not a racing ship. Oh. Whoa. Oh, 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 it's heating up here. All right. Well, here, let's keep, let's keep going because the M50 is coming up here too. He says, point two. In the same conversation, you said they essentially sprung the M50 on everybody recently saying now it was the fastest. This is only sudden news if you've never read the description of the ship that was for sale on and off again since the Kickstarter. The M50 has always been the fastest class of ship equal or better than the 350R and was even cheaper than the 325A for a long time. It started at $80 and the 325A was $85. So per the specialization on funds argument, two people spent the same cash and they are each better at different things. I was actually the one who said about the M50 being the best thing. I will admit I didn't do any research into that. I was purely using it as an example of switching out the rug from under people. Mm. But, you know, if it's if it's always been there, then that's fair enough. I'll accept that. Well, uh, and, and Jeff, what did you do after we recorded the show last Oh, night? I upgraded to the M50, and then just this weekend I am upgraded to the 350R. So bottom line is is that the 350R is in the speed class. It is the top of the speed class of Origins 300 series. The M50 is an interdictor like the 325A, but because of its smaller size, it's likely to go faster and make it a better racer. And RSI, CIG, will sell you as many cross-chassis packages as you want to get you into the ship that you desire. Well, you know, it's funny because, you know, the difference between, besides the two engines... The difference between a 325A and a 350R is the fact that the 325A has 16 units of cargo space. The 350R does not have any cargo space. Oh, so you just lost out uh, on your hauling cargo. Well, it's true, but it does pack the same armaments, same class of weapons, mm-hmm. so it will, in fact, be a better interdictor. All right. He goes on to say, all that said, I kind of agree there's a bit of disparity here if you have a limited ship selection, but I think the whole thing could be solved with a more flexible matchmaking, like Aurora's Only or Any Ship Goes or other types of matches. I Sure, but we can't even have private matches right now, so you know, setting up Aurora Only things are kind of a ways off. Also, FYI, in your scheduling comments, the last interview I saw with Aaron Roberts said quarter one, January 2015, for the first 10 levels of Squadron 42. There is no alpha beta for Squadron 42 as they don't want to spoil the story, so it'll be released as it's done. Schedule aside, I'm still hoping they give us something for Christmas. I'm hoping we get some sort of tutorial mission or something for Squadron 42 just so we can see the whole package deal. It's a hope. It's, it's aspirational. I'm still very much thinking it's going to be April next year. Stop being reality. I don't reality. I, I reject your reality and substitute my own. No, don't get me wrong. I'm not being realistic. I'm being pessimistic because it means I'm either correct or pleasantly surprised. Gravity Gray from Deep Blue wrote in to say his favorite part of Arena Commander 0.9 is the flight model. It's really coming together now. The afterburner and six degrees of freedom were a huge change. I feel like it's already miles beyond any other space sim I've ever played. There's no doubt in my mind that Star Citizen is going to be incredibly skill-based. With this in mind though, I really hope it'll still be just as fun for the less skilled and or non-combat oriented pilots. Oh, I love my Hornet now, and I love playing. The patch made this, oh, so much more fun to play if you're in a Hornet. Made it so much worse to play if you're not in a Hornet, though. They're building in pressure points, right? Like, you know, the the AI, they can dial up and dial down to wherever, but for the player side, you can mix and match enough gadgets to change your flight model enough 
so that everybody will have their uh, a comfort zone between gadgetiness and ability to do crazy things and letting the computer fly it for you. I think that they're smart building in those in-game options for you know flight control and avionics so that people, when they first get into the game on their first aura, they probably don't need six degrees of freedom. They probably hardly even need decoupled mode because that's kind of advanced. So I think that they're doing a smart thing to try to find that balance between easy to learn, hard to master. I think in the persistent universe, if you don't want to be involved in shooty-shooty fun times, then don't take a job that's liable to involve shooty-shootiness. And from our email, squawk at guardfrequency.com, Jeebus Gleep emailed us to say, Love the show. Keep up the good work. I disagree that 53 million raised is enough. Chris Roberts' vision for the Star Citizen is huge. The universe he has described to us and the activities we will be able to undertake in it are truly awe-inspiring. Compared to all this, that industry estimates of the development costs for GTA V come in at more than 125 million. To my mind, the worst-case scenario for Star Citizen is a vision-altering technical blocker with insufficient funding available to work through it. CIG should continue to raise as much money as backers are willing to spend. I do understand the frustration of buying into the game with one role in mind and then a new module drops and you realize you want to fully participate in that one more. If this has happened, why not sell back the ship you have and use the credit to purchase a new one? And I really hope that the $53 million is actually, quote, enough to deliver on the, the vision that, you know, as updated November of last year-ish, November 2013-ish, whatever. I hope that it's enough to get it there. But to actually get it in a condition that Chris Roberts is pleased with, maybe that's not, quote, enough. Maybe they need to hire the contractor for another cycle or whatever. And it's clearly not enough to actually run the servers once it's, once it's up and going. But I still am going to reiterate my call from last time. And I think their concept sales might be headed, you know, getting them on that way. More of a revenue model rather than a crowdfunding model. Like, here's our system for selling ships and getting money into the game and, and getting money for further development. Here's our procedure for doing it. This is going to be a rolling, ongoing thing. We're going to be doing this. You, our customers, can expect that. You can buy it or not buy it if you want it. doesn't matter. Just know that this is going to be the procedure from now on. And we'll be able to look at our revenues as a more rolling, constant thing rather than a new thing, new project, new stretch goal. It's more of a steady drumbeat rather than a, a, an occasional punch. From our Guard Frequency Facebook page, we actually got a comment. <laughs> Brian Valdez Kalsman commented to say, A cynical thought, but what if CIG's answer to gold farming is players doing internal police work and bounties to expose players that launder money through the system? Potentially, if there was an in-game investigation mission triggered any time an amount of money over a certain number on a certain frequency is transferred, you then have a criminal element besides piracy to investigate. It creates tangible consequences beyond just a simple and straight banning, and creates a larger investigative force than CIG could afford to have handling all claims of gold selling. Sure. Why not? I like it. I like the idea. I'm just not entirely too sure how it would be executed. I'm not either. I'm, I'm not too unsure about well, enforcement either. So, Well, here we go. I love the game we're building. Let me give this a shot, see if I can come up with something here. Okay, so so you have like a, a credit transfer, a UEC credit transfer, and it's a thing that any player can do to any other player. And the, the system works that I transfer 1,000 UEC to Lennon, and Lennon transfers back to me a laser gun or several freight units of commodities. 
And if the game's computer system doesn't see that that trade is within a certain band, you know, like the going commodity rates for the systems that you're near that are nearby, all that kind of stuff, and it triggers an alarm that gets sent to the UEC tax authority. If you do that too often, if you make a pattern of that, the job board will generate a mission, like a tax collection mission, that the bounty hunter can take on. Here's the first thing I would do. I'm from the Chinese Guild Farming Consortium, and I make several transactions, and, oh, now I know how many transactions it takes for me to get flagged. Delete character. Woohoo! I'd go and create another one. Aha, uh-huh. and buy another $60 package? I don't think so. Uh, if I made $1,200 that night, who cares? But I don't think you are going to make $1,200 that night. But the thing that we haven't actually discussed on this is that, okay, so the bounty is on Mr. Chinese Gold Farmer's head. Someone goes and destroys that player. Player respawns on another planet. Player is not banned from the game. There is nothing in there. And I think putting the ban control in the hands of players is a very... Yeah, I, I do too. Uh, it would still oh, need no, no, to no. be investigated by CIG. That player would still need to be banned. The only thing that it does is it adds another gameplay element of, oh, instead of looking for bounties for this, you can look at bounties for that because there will be genuine times where, I don't know, you're kind of new to the game and I want to help you out as a friend, so I give you a lot of UEC. That doesn't mean I'm a gold farmer, but if I've then triggered that, people will hunt at me as as an in-game tax evasion or whatever. Fine, I can cope with that. As a result of that, if I was then somehow auto-banned or that sort of thing, I'd be pissed. No, 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 no. I'm, yeah, and that's why I say I don't like the auto ban thing. I'd much rather have a, a bounty on your head. And if you have a bounty on your head and you're a good citizen like that, you would just have to go pay the tax. We're just kind of trying to attack the margins of the gold farmers, right? You'll never get rid of all of them. But you want to make it less certain the amount of time they can put into the game for the amount of reward they can get out. So if they're going to get jumped every time they go into a settled system or if when they get caught, their UEC account gets drained, the government authority drains their entire UEC account, it provides them less of an incentive to come back. Legitimate people, if you have a bounty put on your head because you're helping out too many friends or whatever, can just go to the bounty office and pay to have their bounty cleared. So, yeah, you're helping out your friends, and, yeah, you're transferring UEC. It's just going to cost you a little extra UEC to help your buddy out. But make that float. Make that, you know, if you're doing this in, in settled systems and you're doing this infrequently, you don't trigger the bounty alarm. But if you're doing it every single day in regular lot amounts, well, then you're probably a gold farmer, and then the the system generates the bounty mission for you. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that we never get rid of all the gold farmers. I think you're right. I think we don't need to deal with the gold farmers. I think we need to make the system so difficult that it'd be too cost prohibitive to be gold farming. I think the main issues with this system are, one, the Chinese gold farming market is a lot more intelligent than I think a lot of people give them credit for. They will figure out these formulas. They will skirt around it. It's their business. And secondly, we still haven't discussed how they're being banned. Still problems with the game that we're building. We'll have to figure that out later. From Twitter, Green Dragoon quote to say, I like the R and Y hanger matches my Phoenix. I'm really hoping I can use it for my org, though. It's big enough. Well, yes, it is big enough, but then they can't sell you guild housing, and we know that they need to sell you guild housing. Getting used to the flight changes. Can't wait for private matches. Me too. Mm-hmm. And finally, he says, there is a cheap racer coming in the form of the Mustang variant. This is not pay to win. But sure, absolutely. I mean, there's going to be more ships and there'll be one for every price point. Perfect price discrimination. Step right up, ladies and gentlemen. Operators are standing by. Oscar BK81 asks, can you use the mouse for everything on Star Citizen? I'm getting really interested from your show. 
Well, I th there's a few commands that you would kind of need to use a little bit more than a mouse. Mouse and keyboard, definitely. Or if you're not that adept at Tony, I think, sorry, that makes it sound like you're not adept. You are adept. <laughs> but what I mean is you use a uh, trackball and keyboard, don't you? Oh, I love my trackball. I love my trackball and keyboard. Yeah. Oh, it's so much fun with the Hornet. And I think, you know, uh, you could do a trackball and voice commander. Oh, oh, yeah. Voice, uh, I love that. Voice attack, voice attack. Voice attack. I think if you had a trackball and voice attack, you could play this game one-handed. Permanent Starlight talks like a pirate to say, Yar, Tony, bang up job on that bloody battle already. Um, I'm not going to go through that whole thing with a pirate. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, yesterday, as we recorded the show, was Talk Like a Pirate Day. And uh, thank you very much, Permanent Starlight. I, you know, It's all your fault anyway, so I'm glad you continue to encourage me to never, ever, ever do that again. And from our amazing donors of monetary goodness, John and Hilton both drop in a tenor, smashing. Well, thank you, gentlemen. And as a reminder, this week's community question, are we on a better path with CIG's latest changes to their development funding? Or did we just go further off track? Let us know by commenting on this week's show post at guardfrequency.com or over on our show's weekly thread at robertspaceindustries.com. So how was the show? Did we get it right or does it need more patching to fix the bugs? Either way, let us know. Here are some ways you can get in touch with us. Check out our forum post at forums.robertspaceindustries.com. Leave a comment on this episode's show notes at guardfrequency.com, and you can subscribe, feeds.guardfrequency.com, or just find us on iTunes. You can hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak, or leave a comment and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. And if you're lucky, I might just butcher your name live on the air. And if you're old school like us, shoot an email over to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute, tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 39 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 40 on September 30th, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows at GuardFrequency.com or the official Robert Space Industries fan site subforum. Please send us your feedback about the show. Aside from all the ways we just ran down the feedback loop, you can also use the contact form on our website. All of the details for all of the ways that you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Do you like what we do? Do you want to come and join us and help us make the best damn space in podcast ever? If so, then just send a note to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And if you can't get enough spaceship podcasting, then why not check out our sister production, Priority One? It's a pretty good show. You should check it out. They cover Star Trek Online and the greater Star Trek universe. So just head on over to PriorityOnePodcast.com. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? Check out our organization, Guard Frequency Response, at the official RSI website, robertspaceindustries.com forward slash orgs forward slash guard freak and if you're not doing anything saturday nights then you should join us live here at guardfrequency.com forward slash live we start recording around 8 p.m central and that's sundays at 2 a.m gmt we'd like to thank the entire team at guard frequency and the priority one network thanks to our community manager justin chivalry being master our artist simon charlton edwards and our assistant audio engineer michael duncan thanks to our syndication partner the bass and special thanks to ronald jenkies for his permission to use his music in our show Visit RonaldJenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. 10 3 3 0 7 7 0 0 Stay on the curve. date, over half of all attempted Mars missions were either destroyed, lost, or failed to achieve crit...
along with a lot of of advanced. That's not even a word. It sounds like a great word, though. We should advanced. Yeah, advanced. Because the M50 is coming up here too. He says in the same conversation. Point two in the same conversation. They essentially. You said they essentially. I'm going to try that over again.